And good morning. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors around here, and I'd also like to welcome you to Central on uh, here in person or online. Thank you for joining us for the third. We're looking at the third of our new message series this morning. Now, if you missed one or both of the weeks previously, you can definitely go to our YouTube channel to kind of catch up a little bit. But if you're life grouping, if you're part of a life group, I'd love to invite you to please continue to process all that we're talking about together. Um, and if you're not in one, please talk to Pastor Rachel at the round table afterwards because we would love, 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 love for you to uh, kind of discuss the things that we're talking about and, and all the things that's going on. Because next week, I'm pretty much going to make everybody here mad. I, I know already. And the following week after that, some of you might decide to leave the church and go on for that. But if you don't and you stick around for the last one, Ladies, if you're married, have your husbands in the front row, okay? Ladies, if you're dating, have your boyfriends in the second row, because we're going to talk about stuff. And guys, if you sit in the front or second row and you're not married or not a boyfriend, you probably will be targeted to be one. So <laughs> be here on that last week, and um, we're all good, okay? So I want you to really discuss this, because it's going to get a little bit difficult. The last couple weeks are going to get a little bit difficult. So quick review from, uh, from last week. If we can have the slides, please, that'd be great. Uh, quick review from last week. Jesus arrived, and he signaled something absolutely brand spanking new. This was not kind of a religion 2.0. He showed up and launched a new initiative that was so brand new that it signaled the end of the temple system. And we can still find this temple system around today uh, in different parts of the world. And the way you know a temple system is that, first of all, it's always a sacred place, right? You know, you have to go there. you got to be quiet. You have to be reverent. Something special will happen there. Uh, sometimes they build buildings where a special event in history has happened. Then there's always a sacred text. Uh, it might be uh, on a screen. It might be an inscription on a wall. It might be something that's written down. It might be an oracle. But there's always some sort of sacred text. And then in the t- uh, temple system, there's always a sacred man. Man. Always men. And the sacred men have possession of the sacred text. And they tell the sincere followers or the superstitious followers or the scarred followers. There's a lot of other S words I could use here. Uh, submissive or shamed followers. And they tell all the followers what they're supposed to do. How they're supposed to live. And if you don't behave, God's going to get you. And the reason I know God's going to get you is because I am a sacred man, and I have the sacred texts, and I work and have an office in a sacred place. And so people would live in fear, and, and people had all kinds of superstitions around religion and all kinds of religious misunderstandings and a lot of shame, a lot of shame. And then Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, he launched something completely new. And it was a total departure from the temple model. He, he kind of launched and established a brand new covenant. Uh, a, new, a, a new covenant. He said, uh, I have a new arrangement. It's a new arrangement with God. And he gave us a new command. He said, this one command, this one command is going to take precedent over all the other commands. And as we'll look at next week, if you get this one command right... You don't even need the rest of the commandments, which is going to make some of us upset. And then he took this brand new ethic that we're going to talk a little bit about today. 
And he started, he said, it's going to trickle down into everything you do, into all your behaviors and all your relationships. And he called this life a brand new movement. See, the temple system was different. And the temple system was built around a standard that only the elite could meet. Jesus came along and he raised that standard so high that now no one can meet it. He leveled the playing field for everybody. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the entire world for everybody. The the temple system also required followers to come, to come and make peace with God. You got to go to the temple to get right with God, right? And, and, And Jesus said, forget that. Forget it. From now on, I want you to go and make peace with everybody else. I want you to go make peace with your neighbor. God can wait. He's all right. You got stuff you need to deal with next to you. See, the temple system was also always kind of nation specific. You always had to go to that nation. You had to go to their temple and you had to have their God and their, or their gods. And Jesus came around and said, nah, this is not specific. This is for everybody, for all nations, not about sacred places and geography. In fact, he says, when you're standing at the most sacred place you can think of, the person on your left, they're more sacred. When you go on holidays, you go to places where you imagine of major religious things that happened there years ago, the person on your right, more sacred than the dirt you're standing on right then. See, Jesus launched something completely new, so completely, utterly a new initiative that in the early days, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they began to flock to him and his message because they were so tired of this kind of paganism that never really worked for them anyway. And many Jewish people in the area uh, and around the area of Judea, they began to flock to this new Jesus movement because really all of Jesus' original uh, followers were Jewish, but the Jewish Christians in the first century, they had a very specific kind of tension they had to deal with, had to manage. A very specific tension that made it really difficult to kind of abandon the old ways, to embrace this new thing called the Jesus movement, because it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to give up all their customs and all their traditions, and of course it wouldn't. You grew up that way. Old ways die hard, right? I mean, it's easy to understand. It almost felt sacrilegious for them to abandon the Old Testament law. It felt disrespectful to abandon everything that they had been brought up with. So here's what happened. The early Jewish Christians, and it's totally understandable, they attempted to assimilate the Jesus way into the temple way. Of course they would, because they get it. He's the Messiah, and in their minds, he's an extension of the Old Testament. So they hung on to all their Old Testament thinking. They hung on to all their temple ways, and they just kind of merged and blended Jesus, uh, Jesus talk and, and Jesus language and Jesus teachings into the temple way of teaching. And then along came Apostle Paul to the rescue. Now, remember Paul? Paul originally stepped into the pages of history as Saul, Saul of Taurus. And um, he did not show up in history as a Christian. 
He was a Pharisee. He, he, I mean, he put the fair in Pharisee, right? He, was, he, was, he claimed to be the best Pharisee of all of them. He could out-Pharisee all the Pharisees. He pretty much memorized the Torah. He taught the Old Testament. And when he found out about Christianity, about this Jesus way, he said, God, I got this. I got this. And he went out to single-handedly destroy this new movement around Jesus. And he would have done it. He was so committed. He would have done it. He was a super type A personality, right? He's got to get it done. And he sets out to destroy the church, but God gets his attention. And Solitaris becomes a follower of Jesus. He joins the Jesus movement. Now, Paul, above everybody else, he knew that this whole Jesus thing was not Judaism 2.0. He knew it was a complete departure from the old ways. So he began to teach the Jews. He began to teach that Jesus showed up to create something entirely new. And Paul understood better than anybody else how dangerous it is to import the old into the new. He knew that merging and kind of blending was just wasn't going to work. So on his first missionary journey, he went on a lot of them, he went to an area called Galatia, a Roman providence, which is now modern-day Turkey. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into a little bit Galatians 5 and look at what he taught. So if you like to get your Bibles out, go to Galatians 5, get your flat screens, call it up. Um, We're looking at Galatians 5. Now, he goes into this part of the world, and he plants these little uh, ecclesias. Remember that word ecclesias for church? Back in the day, uh, they didn't know how to kind of translate that word. Instead of calling them a gathering or a congregation, they took an old German word and brought it into an English Bible, called it church. wasn't a good word. We're stuck with it. We're not changing it. And so, uh, the, but he came to and started planning these little Jesus gatherings, and he teaches them. And he goes into the synagogue, and some of the Jewish people, they embrace Jesus. And some of the Gentile people, they embrace Jesus. And they're all beginning to mix together, Jews and Gentiles mixing together. He finishes his teaching. He goes on. He leaves. But then after him, another group of missionaries come by, and they're Jewish Christians. And they say to these Christians in Galatia, hey, you know, Paul, he kind of didn't tell you the whole deal. He told you the the important bits, but there's even some more important bits. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, you got to first become Jewish. You got to do it. I mean, Jesus is Jewish, right? He's the Messiah. He's an extension of the Old Testament. So it would make sense that if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to first become Jewish. Now, next week, we're going to look at some specifics about how the temple system has kind of invaded our version of church, our version of Christianity. But today, what I want to do is try and illustrate how ticked off Paul was about this. How angry he got about the idea of mixing the old with the new. So the Apostle Paul wrote a letter. We call it the book of Galatians. To this group of people that were called the Judaizers. And and this was kind of a New Testament term. Judaizers were Jewish Christians who believed Gentiles must first convert to Judaism to join the Jesus movement. They were Jesus followers. But since they believed that Jesus was kind of like an extension of the Old Testament, they surmised that if you're going to be a Jesus follower, you got to become Jewish first. And this got complicated. This was complicated for Gentiles. For men, it required a little surgery. <laughs> All right? 
But they're like, look, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to be all in. I mean, he died for you, so what's a little surgery? You know, I mean, he died for you. That was their message, and they were very passionate about this. Well, then the Apostle Paul, he found out later after he left that the teachers came in and began to undermine the purity of the Jesus movement. And they were teaching that they had to blend it. They had to mix it. Torah and Jesus. And you got to get balance. And he became furious. Furious. This was a big deal. But everybody else was like, Paul, this is not an issue. What's the deal? This is not a big deal. And that just made Paul even more furious that they didn't think that this was a big deal. So for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is kind of walk through chapter 5, verse by verse. And I want you to experience Paul's intensity, okay? Because next week is going to get a little unsettling. Next week, you're going to think I've lost my mind. And then the week after that, you're just going to throw your hands up and go, we got to get our kids out of here. It's a cult. We're gone. There's other churches. But I want you to understand what a big deal this is first. Because it wasn't just a big deal to Paul. This should be a big deal for all of us. So here's what Paul says to the Galatians. He starts... It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, look, if your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel free, you're doing it wrong. Something's not working. If your experience of following Jesus can't be described as freedom, there's something wrong with that version of Christianity. All right, so don't mix next week. Next week, we dive into that. He goes on, but it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. And then listen to this. He goes, mark my words. I, Paul, as if they don't know who's writing to them, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now let me quickly cut to the chase on this whole circumcision thing. That, that you'll, it'll sink in, you'll laugh on the way home. He said, cut to the chase. All right. <laughs> Paul was not against the process, all right? He wasn't against the procedure of circumcision. In fact, Paul was Jewish. He, he was supervised. He was uh, circumcised. All of Jesus is uh, supervised. He was all, uh, yeah, Baptists now get supervised, not circumcised. Um, Paul, he was Jewish, right? He was circumcised. All of Jesus is Original followers were circumcised. Many of you have been circumcised. In fact, raise your hand if you've been... No, don't. No, no, no. We're not going to do that. But see, circumcision wasn't the problem. Paul was not against the procedure of circumcision. Circumcision in this context represented the old covenant. Now, last week, we looked at how Jesus launched a new covenant. So it's a total departure of what Jesus launched. So Paul's talking to Gentile men, grown men. This isn't procedures for babies. Grown men. And he says, if you allow yourself to be circumcised, you're embracing the old covenant. You don't need to be circumcised. And the church in Galicia just grew. Like, no, I'm just kidding. And, and it's a sign. See, it's a sign that the nation of Israel belonged exclusively to a unique and different God. That it was a sign for Jewish people for the covenant. And Paul's saying, this isn't that. This is a different thing. This is a different covenant. Consequently, if you are circumcised as an adult, Christ has no value to you. 
because you have embraced the old and got rid of the new. So then he goes on. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Big deal. Big deal. What they're trying to do, and this makes perfect sense, is that what they're trying to do is they're trying to merge it. They're trying to blend it. A little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of temple thinking, a little bit of Christianity, blend it together. Everybody's happy. Uh, And he goes, you know, we won't go as far. We won't do the whole dietary thing. Maybe just give up shellfish, just that. Otherwise, you're okay. So what's the big deal? And Paul says, look, look. If you think you've got to be circumcised, and then suddenly you get all the advantages of the old covenant, well, you're just wrong. You're wrong. You gotta do the whole thing. You gotta dress right then. You gotta walk right then. You gotta eat right then. You gotta keep Sabbath properly. There's 630 different laws you need not to live according to. Don't kid yourself, he's saying. You don't wanna do this. You're either all in or you're not in at all. And God has launched, it's okay. They're taking care of her, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. And God has launched something for all nations that is brand new. And circumcision has no value anymore as it relates to some kind of special relationship to God. That's his problem. So he says this. He says, you who are trying to be justified, you that are trying to get right with God, you are trying to be justified by a law that uh, has been, sorry, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated. He's talking to people who thought they were Christians, the Gentile Christians. He says, you've been alienated from Christ. And they're like, no, we're not. We're, we're not alienated. We're, we're just trying to be good boys and girls. We're trying to be good, good boys. I mean, no, Paul, we're okay. And Paul says, no, you have fallen from grace. What's he talking about here? What's he talking about? Imagine that you've heard it's my birthday. All right, you heard it's my birthday. And you come up to me and say, hey, Brian, you know what? We just so appreciate you, and we, we just love you so much. We want to give you a gift card, all right? I want to give you a gift card for 100 bucks. so just imagine that. You give me a gift card for $100, and I say, look, oh, thank you. I'm so grateful. That's so nice, but I can't let you do that. Let, let me pay for it. Let me just pay for the card. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's a gift. It's a gift. And I said, well, how about, okay, 50? Can I pay for half of it? You go, no, no, no. It's a gift. And I said, look, I can't just take it. How about if I give you 25 bucks? And you say, okay, give me $25 for a 100 gift card. At that point, it is no longer a gift card. It has just become a discount card, right? I just took the gift out of the card. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying grace is the hallmark of the Christian experience. Grace is that God knew everything about you and chose to love you anyway. Grace is that there are no secrets from your heavenly father and he refuses to not call you uh, his, one of his children. Grace is that you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You can't deserve it. But deserve is not even on the checklist of God's checklist. Grace is grace. And the moment you start trying to earn it through surgery, through law keeping, through anything else, you have done away with the gift of grace. And it becomes a discount, not a gift. And grace is a gift. 
Paul is saying that the moment you start bargaining with God, the moment you start trying to earn your way, the moment you say, well, look, you know what? God didn't see me do that, but God, I did do that. And oh, no, 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 I, I, I did that. But oh, no, don't look over there because I kind of didn't do that. But did you see what I'm doing now? The moment you have those kind of prayers with God, you go into bargaining mode with God. The moment you think you have offered God something so good that the big guy goes, you know what? You're in. You're one of my friends. That was pretty good. You're in. Come on in. He says, the moment that you adopt any part of that temple system, you have fallen away from grace. And Paul hasn't even gotten to the offensive part yet. It gets more extreme. He goes, for in Christ, in Christ Jesus, the Jesus movement, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Paul's saying, look, I'm a Jew. I mean, I was circumcised as a baby on the eighth day. I get it. And, and, but it doesn't do me any good anymore. That's not why God loves me. You're Gentiles, and you're not circumcised, and that also doesn't matter because all of that is going away. There's something brand new. And then he says something so extreme, so extreme, that if I was to come up on this stage, not read the verse of what he said, and I was to just say it like it was my own thought, and I came up with some kind of contemporary stories and illustrations to, to illustrate it. And I was just to say, here's what I think, and this is what I think we should do. Now, here's what I think, and this is what we should think, and this is how we should act and how we should behave. You would think I lost my mind if I was to pretend that what Paul was about to say to you now, I came up with. You would think he's lost it. You would think... We can't do this whole Hamilton Central Baptist Church thing anymore. This is how extreme this is. Now, if you're not a church person or you're not a Jesus follower, my guess, my guess is that what Paul's about to say addresses the reason why you oppose church. Addresses the reasons why you resist churches in general, why you don't really like those Christians very much. Because so much of the problems that come about from churches that happen in churches comes from the fact that we actually have a problem doing what Paul is about to say. Listen to Paul, an ex-Pharisee who memorized the Old Testament, used to hate Jesus for who he was and what he stood for, hated this Jesus movement. Ready for this? He goes on and says, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Have you seen how thick the Bible is? Really? All those pages and all those commands and all those things we're supposed to do and not do, all those shouts and shout nots, the only thing that matters, the only thing that counts is faith expressing. It's a little Greek word, expressing, meaning to work out. The only thing that has to be worked out, the only thing that matters, the only thing that has any value is our faith expressing itself through love. See, circumcision and all that it represents, the whole temple system thing, and, and some of us are guilty of this, the temple system works like this. Your prayers are, hey, God, how am I doing? 
How am I doing? How am I doing? God, how am I doing? It's like a, we're like little puppy Christians. How am I doing? How am I doing? I got circumcised. I got prayed for. I got baptized. I volunteered some last Sunday. How am I doing? How am I doing? Hey, I, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I did do that. But I'm not going, I'm not going to go there. I did go there once, but I'm not going to go there again. God, how am I doing? How am I doing? I, I know I did get over that. I don't do that anymore. I got over it. So will you please forgive me? Will you please forget? How am I doing? Are we good? Are we good? Are we good? And it's all vertical. It's this weird vertical prayer thing. And Paul says that vertical only days, they're over. If you are a Jesus follower, if you believe Jesus is somehow sent by God, Son of God, the Messiah, and he died for your sins, Paul is saying, look, you're in. Calm down. You're in. Quit worrying about what God thinks about you. If you believe, if you believe that God sent his son into this world, that he died for your sins and all your sins, and you accept him as your savior and leader in your life, Basically, he's saying, look, if someone will die for you, they're for you. They're on your side. They're for you. You never have to go to bed one night in your life wondering, me and God, are we all right? Am I doing all right? You're fine. You're fine. Stop it already. Stop only looking up and start looking around. That's what Paul's saying. Look around. Because the only thing of any value is how you treat other people. It's not about how you treat God. God is fine. He's God. He's a whole lot bigger than anything we think we might do to him. Now, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Because if in your thinking about God, if your whole approach to God is God, I hope we're good. That's temple thinking. Paul says it doesn't matter. That day is over. Stick a fork in it. It was valuable. It got us to where we are today. But that is all history now. And then he goes on. He says, you were running a good race. He goes, you were doing great when I was with you in, in Galatia. But you, you quit going to pagan temples. And you quit doing this. And you quit doing that. Those of you who are Jewish, you so appreciated your heritage. You so appreciated the law, the law of Moses. And you saw that Jesus was the Messiah as predicted. Everyone was doing so good. And then he gets a little clever with some wordplay. And he says, who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. Now, I won't get graphic, but you can guess what he's referring to on his wordplay there. And then he goes on. He says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, let's talk about yeast. You know what yeast is? A single-cell fungus. A fungus. You take a single-cell fungus, just a pinch, and you put it in some dense, gooey dough, and with just a little bit of that yeast, you come back, and the whole thing changes. He's saying, this is temple thinking. A little bit of legalism there, a little bit of gracelessness there, a, a, a little bit of judgmentalism there, and a little bit of, oh, how am I doing, God? Am I doing okay? Am I saying the right things? Am I not liking the right people? And am I liking the right people? And, and am I doing all right? A little bit of that, and because it just pollutes. It pollutes everything. It only takes a small dose of the wrong thing to corrupt the whole thing. That's Paul's point. That's why he's so worked up. It only takes a small dose of the wrong thing to make corrupting the whole thing possible. And now Paul's getting emotional. He's working up as he's writing. He's probably breaking the tip of his, his quill and having to get another one and sharpen it up. And he's pushing down harder. And he goes, look, you want to go to Paul and just say, Paul, calm down. Calm down. Just... 
settle down. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I got my way. I'll, I'll get their way. So just relax. Let's just hold hands and let's pray and sing kumbaya. Because, you know, there's lots of different kinds of Christians. And some are more traditional than others. But the apostle Paul is like, no, because I know where this will go. I know where this will lead. In fact, many of us are in situations where we are today, 2,000 years later, because of where Paul knew this was going. All right now. We're going to get to the R-rated part, all right? This shows just how furious he became over issues of blending the old with the new. So plug your kids' ears right here because this is going to get really tough right now, all right? Here's what he says. He goes, as for those agitators, the people that came in afterwards and corrupted and polluted the message, as for their, those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and just emasculate themselves, he goes, if they're going to start cutting, don't stop and just cut the whole thing off. That's how upset he is. He goes, yeah, he went there. Apokopto, that's the, that's the Greek word. It means cut it off, all right? Just castrate yourselves if you're going to go that far. He's saying, let's not let them go on to reproduce more of this kind of thinking because it's messing everything up. See, Paul knew what was at stake. He knows the temple system inside and out. He knows that with all the purity of God's law and all that has been gotten done through Moses and all the extraordinary things that God did through the nation of Israel, Paul saw front and center what can happen if the temple system goes off the rails. He knows that if you try to blend, you're going to lose the best part of it. And you're going to become 99% the temple thing and 1% the Jesus thing. 99 the religious thing and 1% the Jesus thing. 99% the church thing and 1% the follow Jesus thing. Paul knew that if they try to blend, if they try to merge, if they try to incorporate that, stuff happens. He knew that leaders become self-righteous because that's what always happens in temple systems. Leaders become self-righteous. You know Why? Because leaders get to interpret the text in such a way that they're always able to keep the law themselves. And well, the rest of you, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. Uh, look, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. I'm sorry, you know, you're not quite good enough. I'm sorry you didn't do that right. You're not consistent enough. But if you come to me in the right way, with the right posture and the right amount of money, and the right amount of process and the right amount of sacrifice, I can square you up with God. I can do that for you. Paul knew that's how it gets perverted. In the simple system, leaders also, not only do they become self-righteous because of that, followers then become hypocrites. Hypocrites. Because what we do is we have to dumb down the, the rules. We've got to dumb down the law. And it means, I think that scripture means this, and I think... It means that, and we've dumbed down God's law so low, so low that it is now something that I can, well, I can live with that. I can do that. That doesn't bother my lifestyle too much. We're going to talk about this next week. But Jesus shows up, and he says things like, you have heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you, you even look at a woman lustfully, boom, adultery. People are like, what? What? Who can live up to that? He goes, I have said to you that you have heard it said, thou shall not commit 
murder. <laughs> that's all right. I haven't killed anybody ever. Oh, that's an easy one. But I say to you, you hate your brother? Murder. Boom. And people are like, what? What? How? Who's going to keep up with that? Jesus jacked up the, the, uh, the standard so high that nobody could keep the standard of the temple system. We bring rules down so low that leaders become self-righteous. Ultimately, followers become hypocrites. Paul knows this. And then he knows what happens. Is the reason it happens is because the text, Scripture, Bible, becomes manipulated. And, well, you're just not good enough. It says right here. Oh, and 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 it says right here. Oh, <laughs> it says right here, here, and here. You're not good enough. And ultimately, this is the big one. Because of the manipulation of Scripture, people get mistreated. Ever been hurt by the church? Ever been mistreated in a safe place that we call church? Ever had anybody put down a law or put up a law or put up a rule, put some kind of thing up, shame or guilt or judgment, and put that up over love instead of love, instead of the main thing, instead of the only thing of any value? See, that's what Paul knew. He knew that if we cling to the old ways, who's in and who's out, we're going to miss the main thing. So then he continues. My brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. He says, look, this isn't about some kind of nirvana, shangri-la kind of thing we call church. Just do whatever you want because the breaks are off. You're forgiven. You can just live and do whatever you want. You know you're going to heaven, so feel free to live like hell. See, that's not loving either, right? See, this is not a game. You know, if I confess my sins, well, then God forgets my sins. We've all been taught that, right? We all grew up saying that if I confess my sin, God will forget my sins. Wouldn't that be nice if that was true? But God knows everything. He doesn't forget anything. He just doesn't use it against you. Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, you name a church movement, we all have a game, a way of confessing our sin on a Sunday. We're about to take communion. God, please forgive me for all the things that I maybe forgot I did. I can eat the bread now. It's a way of confessing our sin on Sunday so the sin bucket is empty. And then Monday through Saturday, we fill it up again. And we bring it to Sunday rubbish day and we dump it. Paul is saying slow down let's not get stupid here if you're worried about that if you're worried about the love thing is just a free for all the whole love one another thing is just a free for all with no rules you can do whatever you want you don't understand what the main thing is this love thing raises the standard so high he goes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And then he goes on, for, for, the entire law, all that Old Testament law is fulfilled, done, ticked, taken care of, completed in keeping one command. He's saying, Gentiles, you don't have to memorize those 630 rules and laws. You don't even have to remember the Big Ten. The entire law is taken care of and fulfilled in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So powerful. So life-changing. It comes from the book of Leviticus. It's, it's in the Jewish law. This was already in the Old Testament. Jews already had this right. They had it all along. This kernel of truth that would one day be expanded for all generations to everybody everywhere, the Jews had it right. It was buried, buried in the Old Testament. It was the one thing that would inform all the rest of everything. Remember that movie, Wizard of Oz? Remember these shoes, Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz, that movie, what, two and a half hours? I don't know how long it was. It could have been done in like 15 minutes, right? In, out, done, no commercials. It could have been done so quickly. The Wizard of Oz, about 15, 20 minutes into it, I think, a tornado came, right? Comes in, Dorothy gets hit on the head, she wakes up, she's in the land of Oz, a lot of little people running around and singing and stuff. There's a witch that's been crushed by her house, there's some shoes, she gets to put on the shoes, and, and she has those red ruby slippers on for the rest of the entire movie. She could have clicked her heels three times anytime she wanted to, anytime. But instead, for two hours, she walks around on this yellow brick road with these red slippers, never clicking those things. She could have gone back to Kansas anytime she wanted to. And the big finish of the movie is, oh, by the way, you had the secret the whole time. <laughs> really? <laughs> Paul's saying, this is what's going on here. We had the secret the whole time. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor. The rest is detail. It's just details. In fact, the way you love God is by loving your neighbor. See, the temple system asks, how are you doing with God? The Jesus model says, look around. You'll know how you're doing. God says, look, you're all good. I'm okay with you. You're okay with me. Jesus took care of all that. Would you now get things right with the people around you? Because when things are right with the people around you, things are right with you and with God. That's why he can so confidently say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, when you get this right, you will do everything differently. You will pray differently. When you get this right, you will see sin completely in a different way. And that's what we're going to talk about in two weeks from now. When you get this right, your religious experience as a Christ follower will be characterized by more freedom than you've ever imagined. And when you get this right, we will all treat each other better. We will all treat everybody better. Can you imagine how different things would be if this was the case? Can you imagine how different our communities would be? How different our city, Hamilton, would be, our nation, if just the Christians, just the Jesus followers decided there's only one thing that really matters, and it's my faith in Christ manifested, showed off by the way I love other people. That's it. What's most important to God is how I treat other people. What might it look like if every interaction you have, every conversation you have, every temptation you face, you stopped and you asked the question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me?
oh, look, man, someone needs to tell her. So I, I don't want to tell her because if I tell her, I'll get a front foot and she'll just scream at me. I don't want to tell her. What does love require of me? But it's consensual. It's consensual. It was, it was always consensual. What does love require of me? But it's legal. It's not illegal anymore. It's legal. What does love require of me? Oh, there they are again. They've been here for like two weeks in a row. I, I should go see that. I, I don't want to, but what does love require of me? That's the question that will change your life. That's the question that will change everyone's life that intersects with yours. And this is not a new idea. This is how it was always, always supposed to be. But we've allowed the old to blend with the new, and we didn't get 50-50. We got about 95% temple and only 5% following Jesus. And Jesus wants 100%. So we're going to change that. Because the only thing that counts is our faith expressing itself in love. You've been sitting here, and we have these communion tables in front of us. First of every Sunday, we, we have an opportunity to come down and remember. Remember what Jesus did on our behalf. And we come up, and we serve each other at the table and take it back and take some time. What I want to ask you to do today is you take the bread, as you take the cup. Jesus on that last night when he was together before he got um, turned in to the cops by his friends. He said, this is my new covenant given to you. Whenever you're with each other, when you take it, do it in remembrance of me. This is my promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But remember what I've commanded you to do. Love one another. So what I ask you to do is you take the bread, take the cup, come grab the elements, go back to your seats. Take some time. Thank God for who he is. Thank Jesus for what he's done. And then ask yourself, what does love require of me today? Sit in that. Then eat the bread. Drink the cup in remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you made it so simple, but you made it so encompassing. And instead of following lots of rules that make us feel guilty and shamed and self-righteous and judgmental, you gave us one command. Just love each other the way you first loved us. To love our neighbor Whoever crosses our path in work or school or streets or where we live, to love them, humbly serve them, and watch the world change because that's the power of who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the extent you took to show us that love. And thank you that you have called us to be like that love and have empowered us to do so through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.